Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Seven, Saturday, August seventh, nineteen ninety-nine. Alex dreamed he was in the cupboard back at the orphanage. Now that he was an adult, he was sure the staff there had known how he had used the little cupboard in the kitchen as a retreat, but as a child, he had always imagined himself alone and invisible there. Only he was never alone there, not really. That was why he had always been so fond of that cupboard. In it he could hear the noises of the house the groaning of the pipes, the running footsteps, the wind on the roof, and with time the quieter noises emerged, until he could imagine he was hearing voices coming out of the stone walls. In all the therapy he had purchased over the years, he had never understood why he could imagine the cupboard so fondly in his sleep, yet have this other, more shadowy relationship with dark spaces the one that had seen him labelled claustrophobic. Dr. Lille had explained the discrepancy by assigning a specific maternal value to that cupboard, saying it had become associated with comfort, the proximity to the hearth. Alex thought this theory was ridiculous, but reasoned that if Dr. Lille were wrong, it would be awfully foolish to keep paying him, and Alex did, after all, paying him. The cupboard was different in this dream, or perhaps it was the house outside that was different. Alex could see only a sliver of light peeking through the crack of the door. But it was noisier, meaner outside. He could hear metal and sparks, faraway shouts. The shouts were in German, but he could grab only isolated words. Gentle, he heard, such a strange word to hear mouth with such intensity. He wanted to lean closer to the crack and see better. Suddenly he realized he couldn't move. He could barely wiggle. His body was trapped by something. He tried to feel around himself, but his arms were dead and still. And then that small light pressed shut, and Alex was sealed in the dark. Suddenly there was an incredible rumble. Alex was shaking violently, feeling intense waves of heat and something else underneath them, a sense that something much bigger was building and this rumble was just a prelude. A volcano, he thought. By God, I'm trapped in a volcano. Just before it could explode, Alex woke up and decided that Dr. Leal really did earn his money. The sun was already proud in the sky and promising a real blaze. Vecker took off his good old hat and turned his face up to it for a moment. In one hand he clutched his shop keys and in the other a paper bag with a roll from a bakery up the street. The owner made the best sausage rolls in the area and had been a friend for three minutes of most weekday mornings for nearly ten years. He unlocked his door and stepped into his darkened shop, 
He dropped the paper bag when he saw that the store was occupied. A thin man in a light plain suit sat on Vecker's stool at the counter. Vecker spun for the exit, but two men were already coming through the door to obstruct him. Twins. He turned back to the man on his stool, showing naked fear. Andreas spoke in his usual friendly tone. You know who I am. How interesting. Vecker turned grey in a matter of seconds, mortal resignation settling into his shoulders. I do. Then you understand. I am the one who killed your associate from the train yesterday. Vecker agonized. He was my nephew. Not the best man for the job, but I had so little time. For a moment, that grief was everything to him. But Andreas snapped his fingers three times. Please, we must proceed. This may hurt my negotiating position, but I assure you now that I am not here to torture you. It is a long, messy, stupid process, and I have neither the time nor the resources to chase after the lies you would tell me. But your shop, your home, and your records will be thoroughly searched, and some in my organization may let zeal and self-preservation overtake them and someone innocent could come to terrible harm because of what they find. Do you understand? Vicar straightened and nodded. Andreas gave a pleased little bow and continued. Excellent. So, with uh, that in mind, do you wish to tell me anything about whom you work for and what your plans are? Vicar spoke quietly. We are a brotherhood that knows a day like today might come for any of us at any time. Andreas waved it off. You are uh, ideological. Very well. We will dispense with this step. Are there any brief final arrangements you would like to make? Vecker looked insulted. Have your masters ordered you to give me this parody of a courtesy? It is my own notion. You seem decent, and perhaps when offered decency you will go more peaceably. This serves the interest of those you call my masters. Vecker thought for a moment. He looked back again at the twins blocking his door. They were grinning. Their expressions struck him as faintly ravenous. Then he looked back to Andreas. I should like to have my breakfast to finish a pipe I was restoring for someone. It has immense sentimental value for them, and will take less than twenty minutes to finish and package for shipping. Andreas raised his eyebrows idly and gave a smile that may have been genuine by his standards. We are uh, similar. Unfinished work distresses me as well. He looked to the twins, one checked a watch and nodded. Your uh, request is reasonable. Go ahead. He stood from the stool and stepped aside. Vecker slowly bent down, retrieved his breakfast from the floor, and walked towards the counter. Slowly he dragged the stool back with him and picked his spectacles up off the back shelf, 
He unwrapped the sausage roll and set it to his left, as he had done so many thousands of times. He snapped on an overhead light and uncovered the pipe, already clamped into place at his work area. Its accent was the shape of a hound, mid-trot. There it was, his final work. Vecker decided that he would do it well, and with care. Andrea spoke once more. I've never been an investigator. Analyzing data, drawing conclusions, it had never suited me. But even for me, the coincidence is strange, you know. Neither uh, Elisa nor her American friend smoke. And yet they came in here and drew your attention. Vecker looked up from his work and turned to Andreas, then the twins, kind of divine surprise on his face. You do not know who he is. Then perhaps fortune is with us after all. He returned to his work with a flush of satisfaction. Andreas came up behind his shoulder. Vecker could not see, but his smile had gone away. An order slip showing an address lay on the counter under the corner of the breakfast wrapper. Andreas slid it out with a finger. This is where it is to be shipped? he asked idly. Vecker gave an affirmative grunt, his eyes still on the pipe. Andreas suddenly coiled his arm around Vecker's neck, squeezed and wrenched once. He heard the snap and felt Vecker's arms go limp. The tools dropped from his dead hands. The stool stayed on its four legs under Vecker's body. Andreas looked down at it in admiration. Sturdy work. Alex felt Elise's hand urgently grip his, but he could swear that some razor-thin span of time before he had already sensed the wave of fear. Do not look, she urged quietly. Keep walking. They were on the sidewalk outside Vecker's pipe shop again. Only today there were police and paramedics, and from the way they lingered, it was easy to tell that no one was going to be rushed to the hospital today. Alex dropped his eyes to the sidewalk and matched her harried stride. Do you know what happened? Can you feel it? Alex, I do not just feel events. Do you see that crowd? I can see curiosity and revulsion and terror, but that does not tell me what happened in there. The ambulance does. You think it was murder? For the first time since he'd met her, Elisa looked older than her years. It must be. What else would it be? Alex thought about a pipe in his pocket, about the story he had been promised. But after only a few steps, he felt the same way as Elisa. The state of the crowd, the emergency personnel, and that old hunch. The voice inside him now revealed to be more than just good guessing. All argued that Vecker was dead, and that this little adventure into which Alex had happily let himself be lured, had stakes someone was willing to kill over. As they rounded the corner, he felt impossibly heavy, and he dragged both of them to a stop. Elisa, 
I can't be a part of this. Elisa turned fully on him and glared. He shrank inside his clothes, felt cowardly. That part he could take, it was when her silence spoke disappointment that he had to plead. I'm a car salesman from Arizona. This is not my life. It has nothing to do with me. I want to help you, but I don't have the first clue how to do it. More likely to make things worse. Elisa waited a moment, then took his hand again. Alex felt a metal of the watchful eye rubbing against his fingers. If it has nothing to do with you, then why would they kill someone who I have never met but is very important to your past? And then she started walking again. Come, we must get to the airport. Erfurt is down there somewhere, Alex said, looking out the airplane window. They were flying to Leipzig, and from there would take a car, the final leg to Nordhausen. Would save them a few hours, Elisa insisted, and her great-uncle's resources were theirs to use for comfort and convenience. They were able to board a commuter flight less than an hour after reaching the airport. Alex was happy for any motion, any distraction, anything to think about but the scene they had just left. Elisa leaned towards the window to have a look. He could smell her perfume and thought he felt one soft breast deliberately press against his arm. Just north of the forest? she asked. Yes, I remember the forest, my mother. The woman who took me from the orphanage, she told me that the woods were friendly to people who loved nature. We must have only spent a couple of days hiding and traveling through them, but it felt like much longer. She leaned back, her face clouded. And how did you make it over the border? I really don't know. We've never talked about it. All I remember is a toy town. A toy town? She told me it was the town where they made all the toys for the children. In my mind, I heard Toy Town. Elisa nodded. Sonneberg, it is near the mountains, very cut off from the rest of the east. She turned from the view, her face close to his, and smiled. So, this is where you are from? As much as I'm from anywhere. She smiled and shut her eyes. Just a lost boy left on the doorstep. No wonder I asked you to join me. It's a role you play well. Alex kept his eyes firmly on the window and tried to chuckle away her words. Why did she choose you, your mother? I'm sorry if I pry. It was a question Alex hadn't considered in a long time. So many years of small talks about the weather and his condemnable habits. There was so much ordinary life to cover up the answer. I asked her that. I was eleven, I think. And I was pissed because she wouldn't let me stay home alone while she went to the store. One of those awful little things little boys can do. She answered quietly, 
but so fiercely. She said, There was no choice, Alex. We were made for each other. Elisa rested her head on his shoulder, with the ease of someone he had known longer than just two days. She is a wonderful mother. He dropped his head and nodded. Better than I've admitted most of my life. And for a while that defined the quiet, a good quiet. After a few minutes, he felt the muscles in her neck go tense. She inhaled sharply, squinted, and her fingers clutched at his sleeve. And then she gave a cry and thrust herself back against her seat, eyes wide. Alex got out of his seatbelt so he could maneuver in front of her. Look in her eyes. They seemed to be pulsing, spasming. Put a hand on the side of her face, and she grabbed it immediately. Elisa, he asked in a low, forceful tone. Elisa, what is it? He begged, tell me what it is. She opened her lips, showing gritted teeth, but did not speak. Alex called for a stewardess. Three converged on the seat. One soaked a napkin in some water, held it to Elise's forehead. Another produced pockets of aspirin and pushed them at Elise, who would not release her grip on Alex's hand to take them. Another murmured questions at her in German. But Elisa would look at nothing and no one but Alex, and he dared not be the one to break the gaze. She inhaled in intense, rapid sniffs, and every pore produced a drop of sweat at the same time. In the heat of the moment, Alex had the odd thought that she seemed almost like she was giving birth. And then a man pushed between the stewardess with a gruff. Excuse me. Please excuse me. I'm a doctor. He was older, easily in his seventies, spotted, but still filled with real vigor. His accent was clearly American, but with a clip that suggested many years in Europe. He pushed Alex to the side with more gentleness than he had shown the stewardesses. He took Elise's wrist in his hand. When she tried to grab him back, he resisted brushing her fingers away, muttering to himself. He laid the back of his hand against her forehead, grimaced, and then checked her cheeks as well, his eyes tracked all over her, watching her pupils, her subtly quivering legs, her chest shaking with her quick breaths. He stroked Elisa's hair and, speaking in a soft, high voice, Now, my beauty, you must listen to me. Listen to the way I breathe, good and calm and slow. Focus on my eyes, okay? He barked at one of the stewardesses. Meine Riesestasche, die Schwarze in der Kasten über Seiles Wolf. Bring es mir schnell. The stewardess scurried up the aisle and brought back his black bag. Hold this, he said as he shoved the bag onto Alex's lap. He zipped it open and pulled out a small flashlight. He waved it at Elise's eyes, muttering to himself once again. Once more, he reached into the bag, pulled out a blue pack with ice cubes drawn on it. 
He bent and shook it and laid it across Elise's forehead. He looked up at the person sitting behind her, gave a precise, Excuse me, and lowered her seat as far as it would go. Already her breath seemed to be slowing. The eyes were coming back into focus. His soothing voice returned in a blink. That's good, my beauty, very good. And we slow down the breathing. He stroked her hand, as if trying to smooth out those clutching muscles. Your body is already calming down, and the rest is just fear. Calmly, calmly we let it roll away of us, like drops of water, yes? Her eyes shut tight for a few seconds, and when they opened, seemed finally to see again. Alex finally noticed the distressed whispers around the cabin, the looks of curiosity and concern. Once again, he found a new sensitivity to the mob. Elisa talked about colors, but they seemed more like sounds to him, something between a note and a language. Young man, the doctor broke through Alex's torrent of thoughts. Might I rest in your chair for a moment? I am less fatigued than your lady friend, but not by much. Alex eagerly complied and stood in the aisle. The stewardesses gave them all a respectful space. Elisa continued to cool off in silence, breathing slower and slower. Alex thanked him and thanked him again, which the old man dismissed impatiently. You're more brusque than most of the doctors I've met, Alex continued. I mean that as a compliment. I think it really helped just now. The doctor rubbed gingerly at his lower back and moaned before replying, I was an army medic. I was nineteen years old the first time I had to cut off a limb while I was being shot at. Kind of washes away any pretense. You learn to do what has to be done. These days I mostly do house calls, checkups. Guess the adrenaline still knows how to kick in, though, eh? Elisa finally turned her head and looked at the old soldier. Mein Retter, she grinned, my savior. Every wrinkle on his face suddenly seemed to smile. Oh, okay, I'll let you thank me. He rummaged again in his bag. Alex finally asked the burning question, Do you know what happened? My boy, I don't know what happened because I cannot give her a CAT scan by looking at her. It was more like a seizure than a migraine, but without a medical history all I can do is recommend that you avoid stress until the moment you can go to a proper hospital, and I recommend you make that your first stop after landing. Finally, he found what he was looking for. If, however, you insist on being foolish, and you feel even a suggestion of a headache in the next few days, there are some samples that should be effective in calming things down. He handed over a few pack of pills. Now, are you feeling well past it? He made the last bit rakish, and Elisa was able to chuckle quietly. You have done your healing for the day, she told him, taking his hand as she did. I have been very lucky in the people I have met lately. 
The doctor made his way back to his seat, and as Alex settled back down, he looked at the back of the doctor's head for a long time, wondering that he could be so ready to her leap into a crisis in any place at any time. Tell me about it, he asked Elisa, turning to look back into her eyes, eyes that were alive again but worried. Alex, it was the worst feeling I can ever remember. It felt like my brain was being cooked, then torn apart. There was nothing in me but the pain of it. She held the pill packets to her chest. I will gladly steer clear of feeling that again. Alex took her hand in his and lay back against his seat. He didn't want her looking in his eyes as a troubling realization filled him. In those very minutes where she had been overwhelmed by that sensation she described, a brain on fire, he had felt some of that very same pain. He had chalked it up to the excitement, but no, his own mind had picked it out of the air, just like an antenna, one he could not tune away. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle. Read by Thomas Viborg Thune.